This episode of Going Forward is brought to you by Optimizer, an award-winning PPC management tool used by advertisers worldwide. Save time and boost the performance of your PPC campaigns on Facebook, Amazon, and Google, or Microsoft. Get a 14-day free trial at optimizer.com slash go slash VIP. You're listening to The Adcast with your host, Eric Elliott. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a legend on the line. Daryl, can you hear me? I can hear you just fine, Eric. Man, Daryl, this is going to be good today, man. Uh, I couldn't wait to talk to you. I couldn't wait to talk to you. When, when we were, the producers were going over, like, who could be a really good guest? You know, we're always getting, like, tech people or marketing people, sometimes business people, lawyers. And some of the topics that we wanted to talk about today, I felt like it was, like, really, really relevant. So I was like, let's get him on this show. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome Mr. Daryl Stickle to the AdCast today. Uh, you know, I can go on and on forever about the degrees that Daryl has. Uh, he's right out there in British Columbia. He's actually uh, graduated from Duke University. So he's a Blue Devil. Are you still a Blue Devil fan? Uh, yeah, I still I still cheer for the for the basketball team. And, you know, if the football team or the baseball team makes it anywhere, I'm an avid fan. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, I want to talk to you guys today about, you know, about Daryl. Daryl's got over 20 years experience. He's got a PhD in trust uh, in building trust in hostile work environments. And one of the things that we're going to talk about today, it's much needed. So we're going to cover a few topics. And, and Daryl, at any point when we get rolling, I, I want the people to hear from you. We're going to talk about some of the things like trust in the culture and like trust in business, you know, and also developing the you know, competitive advantages, which is what every business wants to have right now and doing that through trust building. So we're going to go on some of those topics today. But before I do that, Daryl, please be kind enough to tell the guests who you are and exactly what you do. So my name's Daryl Stickle. I uh, wrote my doctoral thesis on building trust in hostile environments at Duke. Um, I spent about the last 20 years helping people understand what trust is, how it works, and most importantly, how to build it. I've worked with a really broad range of clients from families to the Canadian military, trying to build trust with the locals in Afghanistan. And along the way, I've helped a lot of different companies try to figure out how to connect either within their organization or with other stakeholders like their customers. Daryl, what, what got you into that? I mean, what, what made you just so, so focused towards like trust? So I, I was born and raised in a small town in Northern British Columbia. It was, it was fairly remote, pretty isolated. Mm -hmm. um, conditions were fairly harsh, you know, minus 40 was not uncommon, yeah. uh, you know, during the winter. My, uh, my brother let me know last time I was back in Fort St. John that it was one of the few places where it had snowed in every calendar month of the year at some point or another. Oh, man. Yeah. So that's why I don't live there anymore. Um, mm. But it taught me a sense of community that uh, if you could help people, you should, and that the strong should protect the weak. Mm. And so there's a really strong sense of empathy that developed because of that. And I had a, a number of mishaps when I was younger, when I was growing up, you know, I, I played hockey. I, I had several concussions. I mm -hmm. experienced a fair amount of adversity. Mm -hmm. And those experiences, you know, sometimes a hard road's a good teacher. Oh yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's just a hard road, but, but sometimes you learn from it. And I learned how to connect with people. Um, and when I was going to school in Victoria, people would just sit down next to me on the bus and say, I'm having a hard time, you know, man. Uh, so you, it was almost like you were a therapist like early on, man. <laughs> yeah. And I started thinking like, if this is going to keep happening, maybe I should get paid for this. Right. Um, and so I wanted to understand why people connected with me the way that they did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wanted to have a better understanding of how that worked and what it meant. Mm -hmm. So I started working with families and troubled teens and working on crisis lines and those kinds of things to hone those skills. Mm-hmm. And I came to realize partway through that a lot of the folks I was working with were just doing the best they could. Wow. And it was going to be hard for them to move from A to B that, that it had taken them a long time to get where they were and they may never recover. 
And so I thought that'll drive me insane. So I, mm. I shifted into public admin and did a master's degree and ended up working in native land claims in British Columbia, where, you know, it's one of the few places on earth where we hadn't settled claims with the natives. And uh, they would ask me these deep philosophical questions like what is self-government or what will the province look like 50 years after claims are settled? Wow. No, the last question they asked me was how do we convince a group of people we've shafted for over a hundred years? They should trust us. Man. I thought, that's a good question. That that is a good question. You 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 just said about like you were doing. You were actually were, you were focused on doing trust like long before you knew it was actually a profession for you. Now yeah. before I before I got in media and marketing and all that stuff, what I did was I was like an old restaurant guy, and it taught me how to talk to people. You know, you deal yeah. with all these different personalities. But now what that's done for me now is like anytime I go to a restaurant, it's almost like I know what's going on in the back because I was an old restaurant guy. So yeah. you, you being a trust guy and, and, and trust not only, you know, part of you personally, but also part of you professionally, when you get into either even a relationship or you're meeting someone, do you always have that trust filter on? Or are you always thinking like, how is that when you meet people? I do. Uh, Cause I'm always thinking about what's the story that might be going on in their head. Mm. Um because we interpret the world through stories, right? Yeah. And, you know, as a marketing guy, you know that that's a big part of what you do is you you tell stories. Yeah. And you try to create a compelling narrative for someone that, that tells them your life would be better if this was involved. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always thinking about what is the story that might be going on for this person? And how might they be interpreting my language? And how might I be, you know, either making them uncomfortable or comfortable? Um, I do it with my kids. Uh, I, I am just very aware. And my, my kids know I do it, right? I'm really transparent about it. Mm -hmm. um, and my sons are 21 and 18 now. And we have an incredibly close relationship. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a good point. I was going to ask you, too, since you brought that up. Like, like I, I know how it is for you seeing everyone else, but how is it? For them, looking at you, knowing that you're always looking inward. Well, they they have turned into two great young men. Um, my oldest son is on a baseball scholarship in Missouri. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we think about sort of uh, political leanings and ideology, the U.S. is a little bit right of Canada. Mm -hmm. And Missouri is a little bit right within the U.S., and he's going to a Baptist school and he's, we're not Baptist. So there's all these possible roadblocks, these bumps in the road that, that could have occurred. Mm -hmm. And he's just adopted a really healthy perspective. You know, he said when someone's yelling at him about religion or, you know, you're going to hell or those kinds of things, the thought that goes through his head is, wow, this person really cares. Wow. Well, and, he, he picked that up from you. <laughs> yeah. And so, so, you know, and my younger son, um, just really sweet kid, loves people, really connects well, strong sense of empathy, you know, so they're, they've both seen it. Um, they've seen me do it. They've seen it modeled. Uh, and they see the way that I work in the world. That's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not like there are people I don't get along with. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I struggle at times and I get frustrated just like anyone else, but but you start with that positive story, it leads to far more positive interactions than not. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You, you also used a line earlier. You said, you know, the strong should protect the weak. And now it, it's when, when hearing you say that, it almost some, sounds like it's something like, uh, like you grew up with something, like you grew up with something and it's kind of, you, you've kept it, you know, close to you. So Tell me yeah. where, where that thought process came from. And then I, I want to I dive into a lot of it. I hope you don't mind me asking these questions, but this is just fascinating for someone yeah. who does trust for a living, you know? Well, so I had a big brother, uh, my older brother, Richard, and him and his friends were some of the toughest guys in town. And, you know, when I grew up in Fort St. John, it was, it was a rugged place. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a, it was a small community, mostly natural resources, 
people were making a lot of money but didn't have anywhere to spend it. Um, so substances were sometimes an issue. Um, but my brother and his friends always looked out for me. Mm. And they allowed me to be, you know, a little bit mouthy, um, to stand up when I thought something was going wrong. And, and I developed this sense of, you know, that it wasn't okay for people to pick on other people, that it, I yeah. didn't like bullies. Yeah. And, um, you know, there were a few instances where I stood up to someone and, and all of a sudden there'd be a big shadow behind me. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, grew up feeling like that was the way things should be. And that it, it, it felt great to have someone look out for me and my interests. And, and I wanted to be that for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still don't like bullies and I still want to help people have better lives. You know, and that's, that's really the root of what I do. I want the world to be a better place. I think collaborating working together is is one of humanity's superpowers i agree i agree daryl and we're losing it you know like trust levels are the lowest we've ever seen eric Mm. and and there's something we can do about that we can be intentional about that you know and that in the work that i do you know i see profound change i see people have miraculous results i've i've worked with senior leaders who basically said to me look i'm completely alienated from my kids Wow. And I've seen that turn around within a few months to the point where they're closer than they've ever been with them. Um, you know, they're connected in a way that they didn't think was possible. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the reason I wrote my book um, is because I didn't want that to go away if I did. And, and I felt like I was dropping small grains of sand in the ocean. And I wanted people to come alongside me and pick up great big rocks. And, you know, so I, I sat down and wrote a book and I put everything I could into it. I, I put the model I use, I put the approach that I take, all that stuff into it, you know, it's, and it's called building trust. Mm-hmm. But it, I wanted people to be able to take what I knew and start applying it because it seems to make the world a better place. It gives them better lives. I, I agree with you. I, and I want to ask you this because, um, you know, some people will use the term very loosely. Oh, I trust them or I trust him. Darrell, what right. is trust? What is nice trust? Nice question. Yeah. So, so trust is the willingness to be vulnerable when we can't completely predict how someone else is going to behave. And there's, there's elements of uncertainty and vulnerability in that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when we're deciding to trust someone, we ask ourselves two fundamental questions. And the first question is how likely am I to be harmed, which is perceived okay. uncertainty. Okay. And the second question is, if I'm harmed, how bad is it going to hurt? Which is perceived vulnerability. And those things multiply together. So we've got uncertainty times vulnerability gives us a level of perceived risk. Got it. And we each have a threshold of risk that we're comfortable with. And if we go beyond that threshold, we don't trust. Mm -hmm. And if we're beneath it, then we do. And so that means that, you know, early in a relationship, you and I are just meeting each other. Uncertainty is pretty high. And so the vulnerability we can tolerate is actually fairly low. But as we get to know each other, our uncertainty starts to drop and the range of vulnerability we can tolerate starts to grow. It can sometimes can, can certain personalities almost shadow the trust and, you know, and I'm going to say that because I, I, uh, a long time ago, I went to a conference and I heard a guy, he said this and I, and I kept this, his name was Mark Driscoll. And I kept this to heart. And he said, when I meet people, I categorize them in three categories. Are they wise? Are they foolish? Or are they evil? He said, if they're wise, I want to learn from them. If they're foolish, I want to teach them. And if they're evil, I want to stay away from them. So sometimes, so sometimes when you meet people, can it, can their personalities almost kind of like shade the trust or your ability to learn to trust that person? If you're talking about like vulnerability and everything else, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, obviously you've got fantastic interpersonal skills and the reason you're good at what you do with these podcasts is because people connect with you very quickly. And so there's something about you that opens people up. Hmm. And, you know, I, it's the same experience that people were for some reason having with me, mm-hmm. right? People said, you you seem strong, but still safe. Um, 
And context is one of the driving factors. You know, when we talk about where does uncertainty come from, it comes from us as individuals and it comes from the context we're embedded in. And so there are things about us that will trigger a, a lower level of uncertainty for someone. They'll be more willing to be vulnerable to some people than others. Great point. What if you're uncertain about yourself? Can that also hurt your trust about something or someone else? Absolutely. Yeah, you start to become anxious, right? And you start to think mm. worst case scenarios and your your perception of the vulnerability starts to become skewed. Um, you know, you, our vulnerability is a combination of what's actually at stake and our exaggerations or our minimizations. Mm -hmm. And so there's a rational component, but there's also an irrational, you know, wow, if somebody finds this out, what could go wrong? Wow. Um, and so, you know, for us to build trust, it's actually a fairly simple process. It's right. It's understanding where does uncertainty come from and how do we take steps to reduce that? Okay. And where's vulnerability coming from and how do we take steps to help people manage it and feel comfortable with it? I love that. And that's in your book. It is. Absolutely. I, I, I yeah. I, I want to make sure we tweet that out. Cause I think that's, I think that's very powerful. Cause I think some people would say some people just don't know what trust is. And that's why I asked you that questions because like, sometimes they'll say like, Oh, I don't trust them, but they can't explain it. Right. You know, and this is one of the, well, this is one of the challenges we face, Eric is, you know, that we have a lack of awareness about trust. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I'll ask people, who do you trust? Mm -hmm. And they'll give me these close, tight, personal relationships, best friend, you know, cousins, siblings, spouse, parents. But the reality is we trust people all the time, right? It's a social lubricant that allows society to function. Yeah. yeah you, you go to a restaurant, you go to an airport, you, you cross the street, you're trusting people. Yeah. Or you go to a restaurant and you pay later. You don't pay ahead of the meal. Right. You know, that's trust. Yeah. Yeah, and it allows society to function in a way uh, that's more efficient, more effective. It's, it's the same with organizations, but we have this lack of awareness. And, and when I flip that question, I say, who trusts you? Mm. I'll get this long pause and people say, well, how would I know? How do I know if somebody trusts wow. me? Wow, wow. And the answer is, you know, let's go back to the definition. It's the willingness to be vulnerable. So how can people be vulnerable to you? And then are they? And so if I'm a leader... Do people give me the bad news early or, mm -hmm. or am I the last to know? Mm -hmm. Do they tell me what their real development needs are? Do they push back against ideas? Do they, are they willing to take risks and make mistakes? These are all ways that, that people can make themselves vulnerable. Yeah. And the question is, do they? And I think they're afraid to. Oh my God. Yes. Especially they're, they're today. People are afraid to, and, 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 you know, you, you, you touched on something earlier. You were saying like, you know, trust is much needed today because now we don't know what's authentic and what is not because you have things like, uh, like social media. Right. And, and you just don't know, like, you know, like, can I trust that person? And right. now my question to you is this new age of things now, and I want to go into organizational things too, but you know, you, you, yeah. you, you, you type, you got on something really good here. So like in this day and age, is it easier for us to trust people, but not know what trust is? It's, I think it's harder for us to have deeper relationships. Mm. And so a lot of our relationships feel a mile wide and an inch deep. Um, the sense of community seems to be dissipating. Wow. And, you know, we're at this place now where if, if I've made a misstep or if I make a mistake, mm -hmm. then you can easily exit and never talk to me again. Um, or if you find out that I made a mistake 20 years ago or 30 mm -hmm. years ago, mm -hmm. that may cause you to say, yeah, I'm out. And... It, there's so little grace and so little room for us to grow and evolve and develop as human beings. Um, you know, communities used to be sort of co-located. They were, they were, we were stuck with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so we had to work a little harder and, and we had to tolerate a little more and we had right. to accept that people had flaws. You, you had to fix that relationship because you may be around them for years. And now, yeah. like you said, it doesn't matter because, you know, I can move in another state just like that. Right. 
Or yeah. I can just not pick up the phone or or not respond to Daryl's emails, right? Wow. And so exit is so much easier than it ever ever was before. It it creates a real challenge for us to to foster some of these deeper relationships. Mm-hmm. Now, you remember I was telling you uncertainty times vulnerability equals a level of risk. Yep. Well, our vulnerability hasn't really gone down, but our uncertainty is spiking all over the place. Wow. We're seeing, you know, we, we watched this during the pandemic where there were different rules in different places and the rules changed as time went on, you know, mm-hmm. and, and people didn't acknowledge or accept that, hey, our understanding of the virus is changing. Right. And that's why recommendations are changing and that's why the rules are changing. And mm-hmm. it wasn't explained well. We didn't have a lot of tolerance or a lot of different stories. We think about technological advances. We think about you know, changes in values and norms, like none of these are bad things, but they're just happening so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And there comes the uncertainty because things are happening so quickly. And it's all over the place. And you said we're scared to be vulnerable. Well, we're Mm -hmm. absolutely terrified to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we see that equation, we start thinking, well, how are people coping with this? And, you know, one of the big challenges I see for leaders is that they're, they're uncomfortable moving away from the things that got them to where they are and into the things that would make them great in that next role. Well, say that one more time. Say that one more time for me, Daryl. So they're, they're, they're afraid to move away from the things that got them to the position they're in, the things that they're good at. Okay. And step into the new roles and responsibilities that would make them exceptional as leaders. Wow. Or as leaders at a new level, because because they're not familiar with it. They're going to make mistakes. They're, they're uncomfortable being vulnerable in that way. So sometimes leaders are getting stuck too. So leaders, if you're listening, you can get stuck too because of trust. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and what that message sends to everyone else is it's not okay to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And at the pace that things are moving, we have to be able to evolve. We have to be able, be able to adapt, to innovate. Mm-hmm. And innovation doesn't happen without mistakes, Eric. That's true. That's, a, that's right. There's never been a perfect science project, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. never been a perfect science project. And, and you know, and, and every day that we get up, uh, our relationships are an experiment. Whenever we meet new people or do new things, you drive down yeah. the road to a restaurant. That's an experiment. Yeah. You know, the, the only difference that minimizes that risk is the fact that you've done it multiple times. Right. You know? Yeah. And and you've got a different experience of restaurants than the rest of us do because you're an old school restaurant guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you, you pick up cues unconsciously about this would be a good place to eat. Mm-hmm. This wouldn't, um, you know, you, you probably have a sense of, yeah, they probably do these types of dishes really well here, Yeah, but I'd stay away from these other things. And uh, how, uh, go how, ahead. How about hypervigilance? There, there are some people who are just hypervigilant. They walk into situations it's like automatically thinking something's going to go wrong, you know? Yeah. And it's a hard way to live, right? Mm. And so partly for me, there's there's a set of questions we can ask. Um, you know, I think there are 10 levers we can use to build trust. Mm-hmm. Um, four of them lie within uncertainty. Two of them lie within vulnerability. Two within perceived outcomes because we can have the same experience and have different perceptions. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're talking about that with hypervigilance, right? Mm-hmm. And in the middle of all this is our emotional states, whether we like or dislike somebody else, um, which acts as a filter for everything else. And so people who have hypervigilance, you know, if they got better at asking questions, at understanding what to do, because sometimes we'll get that feeling in the pit of our stomach, right? Mm -hmm. I'm uncomfortable. I don't know why. I don't know how to resolve this. I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. And that goes right back to our lack of awareness. And, and so what I try to do is systematically talk people through, here's how the trust decision gets made. Here's the questions that somebody else is asking. Here's the questions you could ask that would maybe help you respond to this in a way that, that could allow you to settle. Um, you know, so I think that part of the challenge we face is this lack of awareness hmm. about what to do in, in situations where trust is a problem. And, you know, some people have, have had 
bad experiences and it, it leaves them struggling to be vulnerable to anybody. And we need to take care and caution and concern with those folks and, and help them, you know, learn that the world isn't as hostile or dangerous as, as they seem to feel it is. Um, but part of the challenge that I run into often is that 95% of people believe they're more trustworthy than average. <laughs> I, so, I believe that. I believe that. But they don't yeah. know what the world thinks about them. I, you know, when right. I hire people, when I hire people, um, or, or interview them, I, I always ask them uh, this. I always say, what are you good at? And man, they, they, will, they will start telling you all the things that they're good at and, and they'll rattle it off. And as soon as they're done, I'll say, what are you not good at? Right. And, and then they, you know, there's a slow pause and then people think, you know, like to say like, well, what am I not good at? So it goes along to what you said earlier, you know, um, you talked about like, I want to move to the, to the business end of things, because a lot of times even yeah. in, market, in marketing, people talk, uh, when they start a campaign, they always say, we're looking for branding and awareness. That word you just used, you said, sometimes it's a lack of awareness to be able to build trust. So right. they're looking for branding. I mean, for, 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 uh, you know, for branding and awareness in a marketing campaign. So, uh, right. Why why is that important, you know, for businesses and brands to be able to have that awareness? And then I want to talk about just having, uh, you know, trust culture in the business world. Hey, it's Eric here from VIP Marketing, and I want to ask you digital marketers something. Are you frustrated with your current PPC marketing campaigns? Well, I want to tell you about a tool that we use here at our agency. It's called Optimizer. You have the ability to get your reports up to date and make sure that you get alerts on them. You can even work into workflows as well. So if you're frustrated with your campaigns right now and the reporting systems that you use, I want to give you a 14-day free trial of Optimizer. Go to optimizer.com slash go slash VIP. Right. So a lot of times, uh, you know, I worked with a mutual fund company where uh, they were trying to figure out what their strategy was. Mm -hmm. And I told them, you know, look, you don't do anything that ever, anybody else doesn't do, but what you could do is build deep long-term relationships with your customers. Mm. And, and they decided that that was their strategy and it was profoundly successful, but partly it was about getting this message across to their customers that they wanted to be their partner. Yeah. Right. And, and so I said, you need to stop flogging product and start to realize that, you know, success for you is the same as success for your customers is this massive overlap. And if you double the size of your customer's book, cause they were selling to um, financial advisors. So if you double their book and you've got 10% of that book, 10% of twice as much is twice as much. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you need to start focusing on helping your customer be successful. Well, that worked incredibly well for them. And they, they generated a massive return from that. Wow. And part of it was getting the story out, getting the signal through the noise, reducing the uncertainty for the other, for the purchaser. Right. Yeah. Because the, the vulnerability that they take is that purchase decision. And they, they did research and found out that trust was the primary driver of the sales decision at least in financial services. Wow. And so a big part of that is it's not just your money that you're investing. It's, you know, partly it's your sense of self, your identity, your, your uh, reputation. You know, I had an experience with, with, uh, you know, my now ex-wife who, who said, Hey, I got a great deal on this ketchup. And I said, well, it's not the kind I like, so I don't know how much we saved. Right. And, and so, you know, we need familiarity and the bigger the purchase, the more vulnerable we feel when we yes. make that purchase. Yes. And the longer it's going to be with us, the more concerned we are about what other people are going to think about how it's going to impact our reputation. Uh, those we care about, you know, I just went through the process of helping my son buy a, a used car and I wanted something reliable and safe for him. And I was willing to spend more money to make that happen. And we'll pay a premium for something we trust. Mm -hmm. And so I think mm. a big part of that marketing journey is 
is creating a narrative for people that includes them, that makes them feel like this would be a good decision for me. I don't have to think about this a whole lot. This is something I trust. Man, uh, you, you, you said something earlier uh, about being able to trust people and making a decision. I wrote this note down just now. And, and I always remember this. It's, it's, you know, whenever like the money or the risk goes up, the level of decision-making changes. Right. And, and that's almost when trust needs to be the number one factor because it's like, okay, if you, if you take a company and you say, okay, this is what we're asking for. This is what we're looking for from a business standpoint. And, and that company feels like uh, not only did you present, uh, but you, they also feel a sense of trust with you. Then right. to them, it's almost like you lower the risk. Is that, yeah. would that be right? And then there could be another company that presents well, but they don't trust them and they feel like right. it's a high risk. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and for me, I, I would frame that as uncertainty fluctuating. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, I used to work for a big consulting firm, uh, McKinsey and company, and, and they charged two or three times what other consulting firms charged. And I'm not convinced they were two or three times better, but they had better relationships. They were mm. more trusted and people were willing to pay a premium for them, particularly when it really mattered. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so now there, you talked about like the car dealership just now and, you know, with helping your son buy a, a car. I, I yeah. think there was, I think it was NYU or so, someone that did a study like this a, a long time ago and they had like all these different, um, uh, professions and they talked about the level, the different professions that just didn't have that much trust. And on right. the bottom, the bottom of that list was uh, politicians, yeah, attorneys. <laughs> they just yeah. didn't, people, people in car salespeople, people just did not have trust in these, right. people, you know. And yeah. so, and and so, how does how do how do you change that? How do you change that? I mean, in that trust factor in the business world because some people they want a new car but they hate going to the dealership right you know what i mean so how do you change that well we've seen some of that starting to happen with with websites right like carvana mm -hmm. or other sites like that where they they pull the salesman out of the equation mm. and they show you a bunch of different options all side by side mm -hmm. and they tell you you're getting the same deal everyone else is getting um and here's the blue book value and and here's how we evaluate this and oh by the way we're gonna we're gonna stand behind it for an additional price you you get a warranty and mm -hmm. um and so they start to build confidence through getting rid of some of the folks that were involved before part of the challenge for us is is that the context does not is not our friend all the time mm -hmm. um you know, I've talked to a lot of leaders and asked them, would you want to be a politician? And they'd say, why, why would I want to throw my family under the bus like that? Ooh. Why would I want to put them at risk? Why would I want to face that kind of scrutiny? Yeah. And, and so who do we get in those positions, Eric? We get people who don't give a crap about anybody but themselves. Yep. Yep. And, and so we're, we're funneling more narcissists than we'd like mm -hmm. into those kinds of roles. Um. You know, and, and we see a, a decline of trust in the in the justice system. You know, I, I started working on a, a paper. I I was going to title it "Grab Your Ankles, Here Comes Justice," um, <laughs> because because you know we we've seen people being put in on the Supreme Court, and we have no expectation that they're unbiased or that they're going to you know they've been put there because they've got a political leaning. Please write that paper. I want. <laughs> Please write that. <laughs> so, oh my god! Uh, <laughs> you know, we don't trust that system because we shouldn't. Right. And, and you know what? You you used to before everything. It, it's almost like you know people say like I don't want the court to become politicized and we're not changing this into a political conversation we're talking about trust because right. this right. this has a lot to do with it it's the fact that we don't trust either side either party so absolutely now, now we don't trust the court wow. right wow yeah well and you know they were asked about and, and i'm not i'm not coming out here to to proclaim 
you know, support or, or denial for Roe versus Wade. Mm -hmm. Whatever side of that argument you're on, you should be concerned about the fact that those justices got asked before they got appointed about that very topic. Yeah. And they knew what the questions meant and they danced around it. Mm -hmm. And what they showed us is that they're really smart and they're able to justify any decision they want. And so that's somebody you should have very little trust in. Wow. Because they could justify doing anything. Mm -hmm. And you can't really believe them when they tell you things because you no, know you that they're calculating loopholes. They're calculating. Yeah. yeah. They're calculating. And and that's and that's what makes this, I think, through time, less and less and less and less, we have well, more and more and more and more, we have trusted our elected officials less. Right. You know, yeah. we, we trusted them less because of a lot of the uncertainty that people are going through, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, how how I, do you... Uh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I think there are sexually transmitted diseases that have higher approval rating than politicians. Because <laughs> there's a chance you might have enjoyed contracting it, and, <laughs> and there's something you could actually do about it. Grab, right? your, ankles, so, grab your ankles. Here comes just... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Daryl, you might be right, and you might be onto something. But but how do you fix it? How do you get the competitive advantage with trust? You you mentioned earlier about the company. The company right. they focused inward on people that they were doing business with, and said, you know, I think you used a line. You said, you know, ten percent is a lot when you've helped them double their business. Right. So, I mean, how, how do you focus and how do you gain trust to be able to get that competitive competitive advantage? How do you do that? So I believe that trust has 10 levers. And we're going to, you know, I, I do two-day workshops or I do, you know, a series of interventions over months. You and I don't have as much time together as I would like. Mm -hmm. But there are 10 levers that I talk about in my workshops, in my masterclass, in my book. Mm -hmm. And whenever I'm talking with people, it's, you know, there are four levers within uncertainty. Let's talk about what those are. And I'll talk about briefly how we pull them. Mm -hmm. So three of the levers come from us as individuals. And, and this is stuff that's been written about a lot. Um, there's benevolence, integrity, and ability. And benevolence is, do you have my best interest at heart? Mm -hmm. And will you act in my best interest, even if it's not in your own short-term best interest? Integrity is, do I follow through on my commitments and do my actions align with the values that I express? So do I walk the talk and do I follow through on my promises? Wow. And then ability is the last one for the individual pieces. Do I have the skills to do what I say I'm actually going to do? Mm -hmm. And we miss on all of those. So people who aren't very good at building trust have a lever that they pull. Usually it's the ability lever. Got it. Those damn, who are better a, have multiple damn, levers. What a great damn point. Right? So we yeah. say, I've got these kinds of skills, this background, this much experience. What are you good at? Here's all the things I'm good at. And, you know, hiring is a trust decision. Yeah. And, and so you hear them pull that ability lever over and over and over again. Well, when I coach people to talk about how to get a job, mm -hmm. I say, well, what about the benevolence lever? You know, I'm sitting across from you at the desk and you say to me, hey, Daryl, got any questions for me? And my question is, yeah, what are the biggest struggles for this organization, Eric? And how can I be a part of helping to fix that? Mm. And what's the overlap between your role and the role I'm applying for? What's a good colleague look like? Yeah. How can I make your life more successful? Mm -hmm. How do I help the team be more successful? And now I'm starting to show a little benevolence. Yes. And then when I say, look, I'm really passionate about marketing and here's some examples of things that I've done that show some integrity, right? That show yeah. me walking the talk. And because you're not just hiring someone to, to do tasks, you're going to no. be stuck with them. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah, exactly. Regardless. I mean, you may be hiring them for business, but per personally and professionally, you're going to get to know them one way or the other. And yeah, so, like, you know, you want to definitely make sure you put the right person in the right seat. You talked about hiring. Like sometimes you don't know until you put them in that seat because everyone right. becomes 
a professional interviewer. Right. They, they've become professional interviewers. So like, you know, people on the other end on business that, you know, they're like, you know, like I heard the same thing, you know, two interviews ago. Uh, right. So they don't know what to believe. There's a lack of trust there. So yeah. And how many hiring decisions are based on trust? The risk I, factor. I would you know? say most of them. Mm. I would say most of them. And, and it's going the other way as well. Right. So how do I, how do you convince me that it's a good place for me to grow and learn and develop? Wow. Place that I want to invest my time and energy in. And so, you know, you ask how, how we start pulling those levers. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, partly we, we can't define those things on our own. Yeah. So if you and I want to, you know, I asked you what makes a good guest and you said, be authentic. And I, I'm, I'm trying out here, brother. I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm trying to share everything I know. I, my aspiration is that the world be a better place. I want people to take what I, what I know and use it mm -hmm. and have better lives. But we've discussed that beforehand. We talked about what good looked like. Yeah. If we want a really good sense of what excellence is or what, what ability looks like as a podcast guest, we'd actually talk to your, to your listeners. We would ask them, Hey, what makes a really good guest? You're right. You're, you're, and, you're absolutely right. And you talk with other podcasters and you'd say, what do you find really good in a guest? Mm -hmm. And how do I get the best out of them? And how do I pull from them? And so partly it's about having a conversation with the other stakeholders mm -hmm. and including them in that conversation. What does good look like? That's the ability lever. If we're pulling the benevolence lever, you know, I work with families and I'll say to them, how many of you here have their, your kids best interest at heart? And you know, mm -hmm. all the hands go up. Right. Mm. And I say, well, how many of your kids would say that? And I tell you, Eric, it's about a third. Wow. Right. And it's somewhat hesitant at that. And and so if it's not obvious where it's supposed to be obvious, then how does a leader show it? How does a company show they don't it? Know. Customers? I, I, I don't think they know. I, I, I believe, don't. I believe, um, yeah. How do I say it? I, I put something out about this before um, and you, you go on YouTube and you see everyone's a damn coach now. Yeah. Um, everyone's a coach selling a course. And, yeah. and, and it's like, you know, for us, you know, I call it the bullshit meter. It goes mm -hmm. up. It's almost like, how do I know? And then when you look in this person's background, it's like you have no employees. You've done shit in your life. And, and all of a sudden you're a coach. So yeah. it's like, how can I believe this person? You know, how can I believe yeah. this? Person? You know, and and now for someone who may really know their stuff, let's just say now Daryl, Daryl Stickle comes through and he has a course that he's selling and he can back it all up. So this person who went before you has made it look bad for you. Right. So now I, I have no trust in online coaches now because right. of this person who didn't know a damn thing. And now he's coaching people just to get money. Right. And you're articulating the exact problem I face, mm. right? I try to get the signal through the noise because I, I'm one of the world's leading experts on this topic. Academics that I know, you know, I, I get emails from academics saying, I read your book. It blew me away. Wow. I've studied trust my whole life. And you talk about things we've never thought about. And you talk about them in a way that we don't talk about them. Um, and, you know, I've had really senior academics say to me, I wish the world could just sit and listen to you for a few hours. I, I honestly think, I, I think seriously, like the word trust is thrown around like the word sale and the word love. Yeah. And I think, I think people just really don't understand what it takes. Like, like hearing what you're saying now, I never broke down trust the way that you're saying now. But right. then it all, it, it's almost like trust at the root of so many things that people are just not paying attention to. Even me, I didn't pay attention to it either. Right. And, Damn. and, and so if we're going to pull that benevolence lever, mm -hmm. how do we do that? Right. How do I do that without including you in the conversation? Wow. I could make assumptions. Mm -hmm. I could try. Right. But what I do is I give people a template. I say, this is the conversation you're going to have. Because in all my classes, I get people to pick a, a trust buddy to practice with. Got it. You're going to try these things out. And so I'll say, let's try the benevolence lever. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to have a conversation with someone. You're going to say, you know, I was listening to this guy, Daryl. He was talking about trust. And he said, benevolence is an important piece of this. It's one of the levers that we can pull to try to build stronger mm. relationships. Wow. 
and I think I act that way. Like I think I act in people's best interest, but it doesn't always seem to land that way. Yeah, you but I mean, you, 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 you're not folk. You're not walking to just say, you know, let me let me be, do this so I can seem trustworthy. It's like you've built yourself that way, so you just walk the walk. Right. You, you, you're just walking the walk now, and people they pick up on it. Yeah. And and when somebody has that conversation, you know, we've started to have that conversation, you and I, mm -hmm. people will always go, yeah, I've had that experience where I tried to do something that was somebody's best interest and it, they just, it just didn't land or they, they misinterpreted my actions. Mm -hmm. And we, we can then take that conversation and take it to a deeper level, right? We start to narrow the funnel. Guilty. This guy right here, guilty of that. Yeah. You've run into that, right? Yep. Totally. Guilty. And so now we, we narrow the focus, Eric. Have you ever had someone really act in your interest? Somebody really have your back? What did they do? What did it look like? Um, I, I would say my wife. Okay. You know, I, I would say, I would say my wife because it's the decision that she would make on my behalf is an unselfish decision on her part, you know? Right. But it's more of like, like you say, the benevolence part of it, it's like just doing it for me you know? Right. Um, and I, I would say, you know, her, and because there's no, there's no, there's nothing to gain to say, right. Well, let me make this great decision for him. And uh, well, for him, but you know, I get the benefit here. And you, know? and you have that story in your head of she's doing this because she cares about me. Yeah, absolutely. And she wants me to be happy. Absolutely. Right. So give me one example of something that she did, a decision that she made on your behalf that that felt like, wow, she really had your back. Damn, I can tell you really fast. We yeah. this was a few years ago because I, I, I use a you know, I don't care. We're on the podcast. I don't care. I, I use a CPAP machine to, to go to sleep. Right. Me too. And and so I we we went to like Myrtle Beach outside of yeah. Charleston, an hour and a half outside of Charleston. You're familiar with Myrtle Beach. Yeah. And we went there, got to the hotel, unpacked, you know, and. And we found out I left my CPAP machine. Right. And I couldn't sleep without, I was, I was fearful of going to sleep without my CPAP machine. Cause yeah. ever since I've gotten on it, I've never, ever went a night without doing it. Middle of the night, yeah. you, know, you know what she does? She gets in the car, leaves, drives back to Charleston. I wake up in the middle of the night saying, where's my wife? I pull out the phone to start tracking like where her location is. I yeah. see her coming from Charleston. I was like, what the hell are you doing? She said, you forgot your machine. And wow. she said, that? I was like, holy shit. See, now, see, when we walk out of here, you know, I'm just going to have to tell her thank you again now. Just thank yeah. you. But that's a yeah. decision that she made that had no benefit to her. Yeah. She did to me. You see? So yeah. that, that's one where I can say just immediately, and I can think of numerous ones that she's done, but that's yeah. one that stands out. And that's where I can say there's someone who actually would make a decision uh, like that and where it doesn't benefit them. And so now you have this, this uh, enormous amount of trust in that person so that I know that that person would make a decision in my best interest. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, that's, now, that's an example I can give you. Now let's narrow this a little bit more. Let's narrow mm -hmm. the funnel a little more. Sure. What would it look like if I was benevolent to you? What does success look like to you? How do I help you get there? Hmm. It would be uh, you in the form of saying, I had an interview with this guy today. We had a great discussion. We forgot we were on an interview and right. you were to do something to spread the word, even about our podcast. Yeah. And it have no benefit to you. Right. Without what, like you, you not saying, Hey, listen to my episode. You can say like, you know, I had a great uh, time with this person on the show today. You should take a listen. Yeah. You see what I mean? Uh, that yeah, could be and I could even say, listen to his podcast because he's a great interviewer. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So that's the exercise that I get people to do with someone that they're practicing with. Mm -hmm. And I give them a template so that they can have that conversation. And, you know, what people come back and say is it felt awkward. Really? It was the first time I was trying it. And it was a new muscle I was stretching. But man, was the response positive. Wow. And that's awesome. No one's ever asked me that before ever. And so that's what I do is I go through these 10 levers and I help people figure out how to pull them. Mm -hmm. You know, my, when my sons were young, my, my oldest was 12. He said to me, he said, dad, I know that even when you're upset with me, it's about what's best for me. 
I know you've always got my back. You've always got my best interest at heart. From the lips, and of that gives child. me so much grace. You know, they they have such a positive story about me. I have such a positive story about them. Mm-hmm. When something happens that sets one of us off, instead of just going off, we go, "What's going on?" You know, we interpret the. Yeah. We try to find a positive narrative for why this is being done, or what's going on, or what's happening. Mm-hmm. And yeah. our first concern is about the other person. Mm. that's what we get from from being able to see that's what your wife gets from you yeah right that is amazing that is amazing you 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 know things are changing so fast you know um and you know my wife and i speaking of her we we talked the other day and we were like uh, the you know inflation's high as hell and people are still spending money what's happening where where's the money coming from and then uh you read about all these companies, one company buying another, the banks, this and that, you know, these yeah. different when I was banking. So what is, let's just say if a company's looking to merge or buy out another company, let's say a merger. Right. What is that one company looking for in the other company to say, you know, uh, you know, we want to take them on or do they like give themselves 30, 45 days to say, hey, we're going to be the management company just to watch them, you know, to see if they fit how, how does that work? Right. Well, I think I'd start off by saying it works badly. Um, mm. 85% of mergers actually lose money or destroy value. Um, and a big part of the reason for that is trust related. It's because the best people leave. Um, wow. And so a lot of times they'll look at another company and they'll say, there's a strategic advantage here mm. for us either getting rid of the competitor or adding something to our suite of offerings that puts us ahead of one of our competitors. Um, they look at it very logically and, and very rationally. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the challenges we face is, is that, you know, I was one of the first ones to actually talk about the role that emotions played in, in trust decisions. Mm. And the, the literature treats people like they're rational actors. You, you've met people before, right, Eric? Who? People. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Are, are, are they always rational? No, not always. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, I, 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 what I used to say is to say you can't have a rational conversation with an irrational person. Right. Yeah. And and so part of the challenge is, is that this may make sense in terms of the numbers, but when the people problem starts to hit the ground, you, you cause massive spikes in uncertainty for everyone, mm. and. You know, if I'm one of the best people in that new organization, if I'm not absolutely certain of what's going to happen with me, I've got all kinds of options. Um, well, didn't uh, that create some kind of dysfunction in the organization somehow? Or It really does. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the challenges we often see with mergers and acquisitions is, is people don't think about the, the people cost. Um, you know, they don't realize that, you know, unless it's a technology that they're buying, Mm-hmm. that that has become independent of the people involved mm-hmm. uh, which is a rare beast then you need to actually give some serious thought to the implications for for the people involved uh when you're engaged in that kind of activity wow yeah uh, talk to me about the people cost because you know with mergers acquisitions you got a lot of things happening the organizational charts changing you know mm-hmm. job descriptions change there's like we said there's dysfunction um and because you're dealing with people so how do you how do you make that work how do you make that work daryl if you got buying one to take out the competition how does it make it how do you make it work well so uh this is this answer is going to be true for a lot of different situations we're seeing right now, right? We mm-hmm. talked about the fact that trust is at low levels because uncertainty is so high right now. Mm-hmm. We need to be intentional. We need to be intentional about reducing uncertainty and managing mm-hmm. people's perceived vulnerability. And so for me, I would come in, you know, the rules are about to change. We're going to tell you what the new rules are as quickly as possible. And we're going to make them as clear as possible so that people have a very clear sense of, where they fit and is there a spot for them um Mm. and we need to let them know these are the rules in the old organizations and here's what the new organization's rules are going to look like and the quicker we can do that the less uncertainty there's going to be for everyone involved 
Mm-hmm. Um, we need to determine what those new roles are. And we need to start having conversations about here's what good looks like, you know, uh, because I can almost guarantee you that there'd be a different definition in different places. Um, we need to talk about here's the values that we're going to live by. And, you know, there's little that creates more cynicism than putting a bunch of values on the wall and then not living by them. That's true. And be- that because people, true. That true. because people interpret the world through stories, Eric, that they, they, you may be taking actions that align with those values, but you know, out of 10 people, three of them actually believe that and have that story. Seven of them don't, they've got some different story. Good book. A good book about that. A good book about that was, um, uh, Jack Welch. Um, he, he uh, it was the MBA, uh, gosh, I can't remember the name of the book. I read it, but it was from Jack Welch and it was, uh, like an MBA entrepreneur, I think the title of the book, I'll, I'll, I'll hopefully I'll put it in show notes, but he right. talked about that, that same percentage that you're saying. He said, there's going to be a certain percentage of the people that actually live by what you set out as a company. And there's going to be like 10% that you hire and fire every year. Right. Wow. Interesting. And so part of our challenge is actually being able to tell a story every time we make a decision, every time we take an action about how it lines up with our values and co-creating that story with the other people involved, right? So we're helping to make those linkages. So we're not just relying on everyone having the same song sheet. Mm -hmm. And then the benevolence piece, do we actually have the best interests of our customers, of our employees, of our teams, of our other stakeholders at heart? How are we demonstrating that? Yeah. And how are we making it land? And so you know, we need to be more intentional than we've ever been because uncertainty levels are higher than they've ever been. Mm. Wow. Man, I, I, I really enjoyed my conversation with you today, man. I did. I did, Daryl. Uh, you don't even know this, but we've been, all, we've been going for almost an hour. Wow. <laughs> Wait, I, I welcome you back down the road, man. I welcome you back. And I'm going to make sure like, you know, before we get off the line that, uh, I, I, we stay in touch either, you know, I don't know. If I would love that LinkedIn or Instagram or all those things, but you, you made me laugh my ass off today. Grab your ankles. Here comes justice. <laughs> Here comes justice. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to wait on you to write that man. Cause I want to read it. And when you do, let me know, man. All uh, right. Uh, Daryl, how, how do brands, companies, how do these folks find you? Because I, I think you have a lot to give the world, man. So how do they find you? So I'm at trustunlimited.com. Mm-hmm. Um, they can email me at daryl at trustunlimited.com. So D-A-R-R-Y-L at trustunlimited.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find my book, Building Trust, Exceptional Leadership in an Uncertain World, anywhere online that books are sold. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn, Daryl Stickle. So I welcome people who want to come alongside and help me spread the word. Um, and I'm really hoping your readers will buy the book and and start to apply the concepts. That's that's my passion in life. Yep. Uh, there you go, man. I'm going to make sure even on Instagram, I'll probably put a link to your book so that people can actually uh, click it and make it easy for them to go buy it. Because Daryl, I, I, I love what you said. And you never knew, I never knew that word, that root word trust meant so many different things. And yeah. that there were so many variables to the word trust, man. So, um, yeah. so we got, we got your website, anything new on the horizon, any engagements, you're going to be speaking anywhere. Well, I'm, I'm about to start doing some work with a group that provides help for uh, kids who have developmental challenges, okay. um, good, good helping stuff. them build stronger relationships with the families that they serve. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and, and I'm working with a couple of companies right now. Um, you know, if, if folks want to learn more, get the book and read it, uh, check out the masterclass that I've developed or just reach out to me. There's, there's also stuff on the blog uh, on my website. That's free. If people want to read it and learn more. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to raise awareness about this topic. So there you go. Man. I appreciate your help, Eric. No, man, I appreciate you being a great guest, man. You asked me earlier, like, what could you do? And I, I don't think you could have changed anything, man. I just said, be authentic. And you were just that. 
Um, even made me laugh a few times, man. So I, I enjoyed our conversation, man. I want to thank our guests. Uh, I thank my guests, Mr. Daryl Stickle, and also thank our listeners from around the world. And I hope that they actually found value in what we had to say today. So go out there and get Daryl's damn book. Go get that book. Learn some more about trust, man. Trustunlimited.com is the website. Um, and I want to thank you for giving us your most valuable asset, which is your time. Thank you so much. This is the AdCast. I want to thank you all for giving us your most valuable asset, your time. And also a huge thank you to our sponsors over at Optimizer. For all of you who are running PPC campaigns and you want to see how to do it better and get better results and actually boost the performance of your campaigns and save time, get a free trial at Optimizer.com go slash VIP. Hey guys, I'm back. I hope that you enjoyed that episode of the AdCast. If you didn't, go online, give me a review and tell me how you want us to make it better for you. And if you did, give us a five-star rating anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. But I want to thank you for your most valuable asset. That's your time. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the AdCast and stay tuned for another hot episode coming up soon.